0: Well, good morning, Trinity Church. Glad to be back, but well, I'm back. again, and I'm out of ball jokes, so So look, you got to stop putting out milk for the cats, because, you know, we'll just keep coming back and And they're lactose intolerant, so like you really shouldn't be putting out milk for any cats. But that's my tongue-in-cheek way of saying... Um, how grateful I am for how all of you have been so tender and kind to me. Um, I've really enjoyed not just preaching here, but being with you and getting to know many of you. Um, so thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for being so kind. And I'm really happy to hear that now you have an interim pastor, is that, is that correct? And, and I understand that Doug Baker has actually been at a Trinity for a while. He's been here all along, right? And so, I mean, check this out. I mean, God has been providing for you before you even knew it, right? And, and so I've already heard many great things, and, and, and I'm happy that God has given you a kind and gentle shepherd during this really uh, difficult time. So God is good, no? Yeah. God is, God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good all the time. and all the time. God is good. Let's lift up a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we, we know that you are good and that you just lavish your goodness down upon us. And so, Lord, we thank you. Even in the midst of our trials and difficulties, Lord, we hang on and we know that you are good. So, God, I pray that this morning that you would show your goodness to this church right here in this place that you would make your presence palpable and known, that, um, Lord, you would strip away everything, and that, Lord, you would be at the center right here and right now, that our focus would be upon you, that all our hearts would be focused upon you and you alone. We love you, God. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the question this morning that I have for you is, what's your idol? What is your idol, right? So take a moment. There's some space in the notes. Um, like, write it down, or if you, don't want to, if you don't want any evidence or anything, like, you just think mentally, it's fine, okay? But, but just, just, I mean, you don't have to fill out all four points, right? You can just, just the first thing that comes to your mind, right? You don't even have to, don't think about it, like, don't overthink it, just, just put them right there, okay? And I want to start with that. What's your idol? You guys got it? All right, now notice, you, you, you're gonna notice there's a lot of points there. Don't get freaked out, okay? You're like, man, this is a nine-point sermon plus extra bullet points, and then we're, we're gonna go get, through, we're gonna get through this quickly, okay? So don't worry about it, we'll get there. Now, let me direct your attention to some questions raised by uh, a scholar named David Powelson, and speaking of idolatry, he says this, okay? One sort of question is a Bible relevancy question, okay? Why is idolatry so important in the Bible? Idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. So what? Okay? Is the problem of idolatry even relevant today, except on certain mission fields where worshipers still bow down to images? Okay? What Paulson is pointing out is that there is a direct disconnect from what the Bible says about idolatry to what we think about idolatry today. Okay? So uh, to explain, how many of you wrote down Mormonism as one of your idols? Come on. Let's put it out there. Right? Nobody put Buddhism there? Scientology? Right? I mean, you're not like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to Trinity Church right now, but I really, really want to be down the street at the Scientology Church, and it's like, I'm, I'm just, it's, it's, it's burning with me, in, in me, I gotta go. Do you, do you see how there's a disconnect? Because when we talk about idolatry in the Bible, we're really talking about other religions. Do we have an idolatry problem today? Right? And so I, I, wanna, I want us to, I, what I want to do is like, I'd like to go figure out why there's such a disconnect, I mean, if you look at it, and on top of this, when you look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, right, the Old Testament has way, way more uh, passages or verses dedicated to idolatry than the New Testament. Um, in the New Testament, you get to the book of Corinthians, and that mentions the word idols a lot, but really it's talking about like food sacrifice to idols, but it's not really talking about idolatry in itself, right? And so... Um, What ends up happening because of this disconnect between the Old Testament and the church today is we start spiritualizing idolatry. Do you know know what I'm talking about, right? We start spiritualizing because like, oh, no, no, idolatry is a big deal. In the Bible, it's got to be a big deal in my life, so I'm going to make these idols, right? And I'm going to spiritualize it. And you know what? In in a lot of ways, those are filled with good intentions, right? Really good intentions. We're trying to get closer to the Old Testament, But we also have to become very careful because that can become very dangerous. We'll start saying things like, oh, that's my Red Sea, or my new job is the Canaan conquest. Last time I checked, I'm not an Israelite, okay? Now, when we talk about spiritualizing, we we might not be entirely wrong. I'm not trying to say that. Is what you wrote down an idol? Very likely, okay, but we need what we need to do is we need to figure out how to really understand what idolatry is about, and then make the connection so that the idol becomes a little bit more so we 'll understand it better it's like we if if we if we can't diagnose the true issue, then we can't overcome it right so this morning, what i 'd like to do is really take take a moment to see if we can understand idolatry a bit better so we can uh, so we can uh uh, see how big idolatry was in the Bible, and therefore see how big it can be in our lives. I want to take that dive with me. Okay. So what, what I'm going to try and do, um, if I had to set a roadmap here, I want to bridge the gap between what idolatry was then and what it is now, and I'd like to, to help us understand why it was so widespread, why was going after other religions such a big deal. Okay. So I want to I want to talk about first outlining what the big attraction of Old Testament idolatry was, okay? I want to give you a picture of what idolatry was like back then. Second, quick outline of what some of our idols are today and how does it compare to before. By doing that, I think what we can do is find the connection between idolatry back then and how, uh, uh, what idolatry is now, what they have in common, and to help understand what idolatry has to do with my life today, all right? And then finally, what I'd like to do is wrap up is say, to see how idolatry actually has affected our Christian lives specifically in the church. Specifically in the church. In what ways has idolatry affected our picture of God? And how has idolatry affected our view of the church? All right, deep dive time? You guys ready all right so nine points okay if you've seen your notes we're going to talk about what are the attractions of idolatry what were the main attractions like what made it so attractive what made people want to go fa- like you see the israelites falling time and again and again and again and again what made idolatry so attractive, right? So well, let's take a look at that. Now, I'm gonna say right away that I didn't come up with these. I adapted it from one of my previous professors named Doug Stewart, very famous guy. If you read how to be, or read the Bible for all it's worth, he's the one that wrote that, okay? Um, and he gave this, I was sitting in his class, in exegesis class, and he gave this list. And I'm like, well, oh, that's awesome. And then he put it in a commentary. So you can find this, okay? So I adapted it from there. Number one. Why was Old Testament idolatry so attractive, okay? What made it so attractive? Number one, it was visibly guaranteed, okay? It was visibly guaranteed. There, they actually believed, the ancients back then, okay? I'm not talking about just Israel, but in the wider um, area, that the stone statue or uh, the, the vis- visible representation that they, that they made that, that they believe that stone statue was a direct representation of the God, okay? Now, you might think that that's a little silly, right, in, in, in our modern times. I know it sounds silly, but you got to think thousands and thousands of years ago, they didn't have the benefit of our mod- modern uh, technology and education. For them, that, that statue represented a portal, and, and that portal, it was, it was, it was, that, that statue was a true... An accurate representation of who that God was. Okay? So it was a portal and they could communicate. And it's, a, it's actually what we do today, right? Like, how many on video conferences or people, people live streaming in right now or watching this on video? Am I actually in your living room? You see me and you're connecting with me, but I'm not actually there. It was there. you gotta think of this is their ancient, antiquated version of Zoom. All right, so like, I mean, they, they actually had the concept thousands of years before we did. I mean, how great is that, right? They were, for them, it was a way to connect with the God. And so by having a visual representation there, it, it really helps to see that the God is there, right? That's why vi- we're all going to video conferences instead of telephone conferences, right? Because there's something about the visual part of it, and that's something that Yahweh, the God of Israel, prohibits, and says, no, that, I'm, I'm not going to be reduced to a statue, right? And so it was visibly guaranteed, and that was very attractive for all the other religions. Second, it was reciprocal, okay? All other, all other religions and idolatry was reciprocal. It was quid pro quo. It's, that means it's Latin for this for that or something for something. If you gave something, you got something. Did you get that if you gave something you got something back then okay, this is gonna sound silly too they believed that the gods could do everything they can create things they can bring the rain they can make crops grow they can do everything and i know this is gonna sound silly but this is truly what they believe the one thing that they could not do is feed themselves that i, I know i know but i'm telling you it's pervasive throughout our theology there was a symbiotic relationship between the gods and the humans, okay? The one hold that human beings had on the gods is that, yeah, we were forced to labor and they would control us through famine and this and that or any plagues, but what we would do, what human beings would do in their theology is collect all those things and they would give sacrifices to the temple and that way feed the god. And if we didn't do that, the gods would starve, okay? So every time that we came here, we were also... Every time you go to a temple to sacrifice, in a sense what you were doing is you were building favors. Okay? You gave them what you want, and by giving the God what that, that God wanted, all of a sudden I'm, I'm earning favor and now they're gonna be good to me. Does that make sense? Okay? Third, it was easy. It was easy. See, we're gonna get through these pretty quick, right? It was ritual without ethics. Ritual without ethics, there was no moral requirement. It was transactional, okay? It didn't matter if you were good or it didn't matter if you were bad. There was no naughty and nice. There was no Santa, right? Frequency and generosity of worship were the sole requirements. You didn't have to be nice to, be, uh, to people to be considered a good worshiper, okay? You didn't have to be kind. You didn't have to be selfless. You didn't have to be humble. All you had to do was bring the food. That was it. No morality. It's like, it was, again, it's transactional It's like going to the store. When you, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a lot of food and you get to the, when you get to the checkout, the, the cashier doesn't sit there and go, hey, well, you know, before I check this out, were you good today? <laughs> How have you treated your family? Okay? No, you got there, you paid the money, you got, and you, and you leave, right? That's how it was. There was was no ethical requirement for us to do anything good. Compare that to the God of the Bible. Compare that to our faith. If you had a choice, which one would you pick? Okay? Fourth, it was convenient. It was convenient. Any day of the week, any place, any day of the week, Any place. 2 Kings 17.10 says there were uh, altars, okay, on every high hill and under every green tree. Those altars, the name for altar there in Hebrew actually means high place, okay? There were the high places. And and so what they did is like at at every hill, right, that's where it's every hill, they they put an altar there. Why? Why? Why do you think they would do that? because by ascending they thought they were getting closer to god okay so they're working to achieve to get closer to god i mean they wanted to they they, they have a they, every human being has a hole for god and, and they want to get there we all want to get there they did that too but you know what since idolatry was everywhere it was super convenient you didn't have to re- arrange your schedule you could just hit up the altar on your way home from work you'd be in the fields coming back in there's an altar there boom got it done You know, and I could go every day if I wanted. I don't have to go just on Sunday. Or, if you think about the Israelites, I don't have to go, right? I don't have to go, like, once a year, to all the way to Jerusalem, to the one singular place that God asks you to worship, to the temple where he says, I'm going to make my name dwell. Okay? Think about that. It was very convenient. Do you like convenience? I like convenience. How many of us, like, wash our, you know, I'm... I have a feeling most of you wash your own car. Maybe it's just me. I, I don't wash my own car anymore, right? I, we used to have a minivan. My kids were younger then, so I had a big minivan. You know, minivans are, they drive like cars, but they're huge. Have you ever washed a minivan? I tried washing my own minivan, and it took me two hours. I'm like, two hours? I ain't got two hours of time, I'm sorry. So I'm gonna take it down to the $6 express car wash now, right, where there's, I'm just gonna run it through and and six bucks, I think I used to start doing the calculations. I used to be an accountant, so I'm like, is my hourly rate like three dollars an hour? Like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna take it to the car wash, right? Is it? Yeah, you see inflation, right? But I I don't know about you, but I love convenience. You like convenience, right? Now, six or sorry, skip fifth. It was normal. It was normal. Everyone, every single person in the whole world, every single one from every nation, believed that God exists, gods existed, but not just that gods existed, but like or God existed, it was never just one. Everybody believed in a pantheon of gods, and that the gods were worked as a group. Nobody, nobody believed that it was just one God. It was so normal, and... and I, having multiplicity of gods was so normal that even in the way they talked, if you go to your neighbor and say, hey, I want to start planning, like, alfalfa, I don't know, whatever, right? I want to start doing, it. And you go get advice, your neighbor, like, okay, it was so normal, the like, first thing you do is, like, you would offer uh, an offering to the god Dagon, right? And once you do that, then you go, and then on and on and on. And, and that was normal. That wasn't like, what? You know, like, what do you mean? No, that's the way it was. It was really normal. And I'm telling you, Being normal is a powerful thing. Wanting to be normal is a powerful thing. We want to fit in, um, and and words like fit in and peer pressure only have meaning because it's it's something that's very real in our lives, right? I remember when we first had kids, um, and my first, my my daughter, oh my gosh, I was such a proud dad, right? I I just, you know, when you have a daughter, it's just something special right in the beginning, right? and we, like she was probably like three weeks old and we actually came out to a wedding out here in Riverside, right? And so we came out to a wedding, we drove in our minivan and, and you know, I, I went through like, like all kinds of research for strollers, right? I wanted to get the, you know, I didn't, wasn't gonna just go cheap, right? I wanted to find the best value for like, you know, the best safety rating and like best convenience, like just all that. Stuck my baby in, we get, we, we get to the church and somehow, I don't know why this happens at weddings, but all the guys are in the back with the strollers, right? All the guys are in the back row with the strollers, and, and I, I don't know if it's because, like, the lady's just like, hey, it's a wedding. I'm going to go enjoy this wedding. You guys go with the baby. I, I don't know what it is, but I was, like, in the back row with, like, six guys, okay? And we're, like, we're, like, strolling back and forth. Like, there's this, like, going back and forth, and, and you know, like, we're all, all, hey, 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 like, we're all proud, but you know what we do? We start looking at everybody else's stroller, <laughs> right, and, I, you know, I, I was pretty proud of my stroller. I thought, like, I got, like, a really good one, but, you know, when you start studying these things and analyzing, like, you start shopping, you start to, you, you know how much everything costs, right? You do, and, and, you know, there are some expensive strollers out there. And I'm looking down the row, and I'm like, I know I've got the cheapest one, right? Like, I'm like, oh, like, bugaboo, right? Like, I don't know what's popular, I well, actually, no, I do know, I looked it up, like, now it's like, up a baby or something like that, right? I mean, these strolls are like, over $1,000, and back then, before inflation, like, $1,000 for a stroller was a lot of money, right? It might not seem as much now, but I mean, you, or you might feel like it's not now, but I was like, I can't afford twelve, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 on a stroller, right? So winning's over, we get in, we sit down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you know my wife, she's really gentle spirit. She's just not, she's not competitive at all. I'm the competitive one. Click our baby in to the stroller thing. We sit down, and I'm about getting really even where there's silence in the van. And I hear this. Did you see those strollers? Then you know what happened? The person getting married was a pastor, right? And all these people were like either pa- friend pastors or church members, right? And so we started getting like, those bad people. <laughs> those bad people, right? Like you start, because you know, like, because we're feeling excluded or we're feeling outside. And the desire to be normal makes us want to do crazy things, right? So normal is an important, an important aspect of this. Number six, it was logical. It was logical. Of course there was a multiplicity of gods. Of course there was a multiplicity of gods. Because you might have like a national god. Like Yahweh was considered a national god. And in fact, other, other, other people or other people from other nations might say, hey, do you believe in Yahweh? Do you, do, do you worship Yahweh? They're like, yeah, sure I do. But Yahweh is only one of many different gods that they worship. For Israel, that might have been their national god, but there are some people within Israel that said, okay, he's my national god, yes, he saved us, he parted the Red Sea, but no, I'm going to have a personal god too, and I'm gonna, there's going to be a family, there's a god that the clan, that the family worships, and then there's my personal one. And the way they would do that is, like, if you got sick one day, right, you go to uh, the god of Molech, right, and, 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 and if you offer something to him, but if you got better on that day, then all of a sudden you would start worshiping Molech. But if you didn't, then you go to the next god and start worshiping that god, see, see if you get better. Okay, so it was completely logical. It's like doctors today, right? Um, You go to your primary care, there's a primary care, but then all of a sudden you've got specialists. Every single god was a specialist. There was a god of the sun and god of the moon and god of the rain, right? God of war, god of love. You see all these different specialists, and that, that made sense, okay? So you can see how, oh, you know what? This was logical. Yahweh, Yahweh was doing everything everywhere that was hard to conceive of. In fact, think about the concept of omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. See if you can get your brain around that. Okay? So it was logical. Number seven, it was indulgent. It was indulgent. I know we've put a lot of silly things out there about about this idolatry thing, right? Silly concepts. But they weren't stupid. You give a sacrifice to a stone god, they didn't sit there and actually expect the stone god to actually eat it. Okay? What happened to the food? What happened to the food? Okay? The priest, the priest was actually a good cook. Okay, so the way it worked then, priests were actually good cooks. It's like you take some meat or you take some food, you go there and you'd offer like a symbolic sacrifice to the god the, the, the priest would pre- prepare it for you. Of course, they would get their portion, right, for them to eat. But the more you gave, which stomach did you fill? Yourself, okay? So the more generous you were, actually, the, to the God, the more generous you were to yourself. It goes back to that quid pro quo. So it was very indulgent, right? Like, it was easy to be a good idol worshiper, because who, who are you actually pleasing? Yourself, okay? Lastly, actually, you know, I said I have nine. I lied, okay? I had eight, all right? Um, lastly, and I'm gonna try and keep this as like PG as I can, but it was erotic, okay? It was erotic. I'm not gonna try and get into too much, but look, they had temple prostitutes in, 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 in foreign temples, okay? So you got to understand, it was part of their theology, right? For them, things weren't created, they were procreated. Do you get that? Things weren't just created, they were procreated. And so there's a theology in which that, that engendered, like, spawning. And so in their minds, those, those acts that you would commit with you know, the prostitute in the temple would actually, like, if, if there was a famine, you would, that would spur on the God to provide rain, if that makes sense. Okay? And you think, like, sexual revolution changed things in the United States or changed things in the world, that things are worse today? They're not. Human beings have been the same since the beginning of time, okay? I'll just say this, and you can figure out the math. They had male prostitutes too, and only men could enter the temple, okay? so. I think by this, you can see how virtually every generation was falling into idolatry. Imagine if that was what church was like and what every other church was like. Would that not be attractive, okay? So let's, let's not look at back at the Old Testament Israelites and go, like, all oh, these fools. Like, how could they not see? It was tough to see. It was really tough to see, okay? So now, what's the relevance today? How does this topic fit into our world? So let's talk really quick about the common idols of today. I'm going to give you a few, and I would bet that 90% of you would have at least two or three of what, what I'm about to say, okay? So, no, I'm not going to make you raise your hand and, and stand up and say, these are my idols, okay? I'm just going to assume that it's likely that you have some of these on your list, okay? Number one, like what, I'm not going to say it's on your list, but what do you think other people's idols, are? the number one idol is, right? That person down the pew, right, or down the, down, down the aisle, right? It's like... What do you think that person's idol is? Like, what, what do you think would be number one on this list? Probably, I would say money, right? Money is the access for all these other kind of things. But, you know, I, one thing I just want to say about money is that it's not just an idol for the rich, okay? We think only of the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezoses of the world are money idolaters, and I find that that's just simply not the case. While that can totally be true, none of us are immune. Okay, in fact, that I find that in my life, the less money I have, the more I obsess about it. Do you not find that to be the case? Okay? So money is one. Maybe it's your job or your profession, right? Or your education to get there. Maybe that's your idol. Do you find comfort in your identity and what you do outside of your identity of Christ? You know, and again, you don't have to be a highly paid professional in order to feel comfort from your career. Anyone making any amount of money in any job can fall victim to finding worth in one's status or one's position. We all know people who have built mini kingdoms in their, in, their, in their companies and say this is, you know, their little fiefdom, right? This you better not tread on their territory because that's, that's, that's their world, right? We do this. Or education, that's a big one for me, obviously, right? And what I do, education's one of my idols. I mean, see, not everybody got to go to the greatest university on the face of this planet, Biola University, right? Not everyone gets that chance. I know, I know, I know, I, I know I'm special for going to Biola, but you know, and, and maybe you had to go to that other school in the heart of LA and you feel insecure about it. You, you know what, which school I mean? University of Shiny Car, USC. Oh yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, These you can see how these can become idols, right? Or how about how many of you have like material possessions or maybe outer appearance? Okay, how you look, your image, how you decorate your dorm room says a lot about you. The house you live in and how you decorate it, the car you drive. And I'm not just talking about Ferraris and Lambos, okay? Like back in the day when Priuses came out, like totally, like super rich people would buy like a Prius to say, oh, I'm, I'm saving the world through my purchase of the Prius, right? Like what statement are you making? I remember when I was in grad school in seminary, I was pastoring too, and, like, um, and, and I bought an Accord and I used to work in the accounting field, and so that I, want, I had a nicer car, and I had to downgrade, right? But then I was really proud of my Accord because I got it fully, fully upgraded, right? Like leather, navy, like you, you know, everything, right? And then, and then, but on the outside, it was still a pastor car. So I, I, I mean, I was making a statement. I was making a statement. Well, how about this relational security? Relational security. Man, this was a big one for me. It was for a long time. I'm glad most of you didn't know me when I was younger. All I wanted in life was a girlfriend. Everything in my life revolved around finding someone. I'm I'm, I'm wondering if how many of us, like when we're single, can relate to that. And it it really just, it had to do with wanting an emotional connection. Um, You know, I wanted to know someone inside and out and and be known. and, And that's really at the core of what we want. And even in marriage, right, this can be an idol. Uh, for those of you who are dating or engaged or married, do you ever feel like your, your spouse doesn't provide you with the relational security you need? And does that make you do things to pry it out of him or her? Physical pleasures. Obviously, sex is a big part of this. And I'm not surprised that Satan has attacked sex and gender ethics the hardest throughout the ages, because this is a fundamental part of who we are. Did you know the very first command that God gives human beings, speaks to human beings? What's the very first command that God speaks to human beings? It's be fruitful and multiply. It's not don't go and and eat from the tree, right? It's not the 10 commandments. It's be fruitful and multiply. And so that's part of the core of who we are. And of course now, if you wanna subvert our core purpose of who we are within the boundaries of God, who God wants us to be, that's what you're going to go after, right? It's a big part of who we are. We've come to a place where we've elevated the physical pleasure of sex as the highest moral virtue over and above every ethic and beyond the Bible and beyond God himself, right? So what's the connection then? What's the connection between Old Testament idols and modern, modern ones, right? Why does idolatry in the Old, old Testament seem so foreign to us? There is, there is a transition if you look at the biblical data, okay? In the Old Testament, you start seeing everything about, like, um, the, you know, Israel falling, uh, falling after idols over and over again. In fact, that's why they get exiled, right? They get punished severely for going to idols. But if you look in the New Testament, again, the word idol isn't really used, but it, it, the conversation switches, okay? It switches. What does it switch to? It switches to this, okay? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we'll have it up on the screen, okay? Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says this, if anyone would come, up, uh, come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Ephesians four twenty one says the truth is in Jesus to put on your to put off your old self, which belongs your uh, belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through de- deceitful desire desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Does this sound kind of reminiscent of the New Testament? This is kind of the theology of the New Testament. Finally, in Colossians says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, Colossians 3, 4 through 5, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, the conversation switches from a ban on idolatry to the denial of our old selves in the New Testament. And that is what I would argue idolatry actually is. What really is idolatry? And I think you've all figured it out by now to be able to, some of you probably already filled in the blank. Okay? All idolatry, all idolatry is an idolatry of the self, it is a worship of the self. If you look at the attractions of Old Testament idolatry, it wasn't about the stone statue, was it? It was about the person going and getting what they could from that statue or from that religion. It was all an idolatry itself. It's not about the idol, and it's not actually about the money or the possessions or the advanced higher education degrees. And I think one thing, okay, so if we want, to help this along, right, if we put the word my in front of those modern idols of today, it becomes very clear, right? If we were to name those modern idols and put my in front of it, it would, it would help, it wouldn't skew the concept, it would make it clearer. If I said my money as an idol, my career, my relational security, my, my comfort, it's not the comfort of others that's my, com- that's, that's my idol, it's my comfort that's my idol, right? My pleasure. Idolatry, my friends, is what I want, how I can succeed, succeed, how I can be comfortable. We say we want to help our children succeed, but often it's really centered about what my children can do or what my child has accomplished so that we can be proud. Idolatry is please me, respect me, pay attention to me, wait on me, notice me, don't cut me off. Hear me, see me, feed me, need me, love me. Love me. Am I significant? Are you treating me with significance? We want money to have power and respect. We dress in certain ways to have people notice us. We want to be significant, and it all revolves around the self. And that's why anything, my friends, can become an idol. Because it's not about the idol itself. Why, why are, if we look at the modern idols of today, okay, I would say those are idols. But they're idols insofar as that we're worshiping ourselves through those idols. Same thing that the Old Testament idolatry was doing too. Okay? So that's, and and that's exactly why an idol can be an idol for somebody and not for somebody else. Did you ever notice that? That's exactly why. Because an an idol, um, money can be an idol for one person, and someone else might not be an idol, because one person cares about it and one person doesn't. What's the difference? Has money changed? no it's the person it's the person cuz i mean all those idols that i just listed modern idols aren't some of them good should we not give our best to the to our children shouldn't i work hard in my career and go to the best school that i can should i not be a good steward? is driving a, just driving a prius prius or, or now a tesla is that bad is that so bad right these are not bad things okay None of these are intrinsically bad in and of themselves. See, the idol is only the receptacle, or it's only the projection of our own desire, okay? It wasn't the stone statue that was actually God. Money and possessions aren't really gods in and of themselves, and if that's the case, then idols, what they really are, is they're just mirrors. They're just mirrors. So the question I have for you today with all the idols that you have in your life or all the possessions, all the resources, if they really are mirrors, are you going to use them to reflect yourself? Are you going to use them to reflect God? Every single thing that we have in our life can become an idol. But if you reflect God in your life, then every every single thing that you have in your life can now become a reflection of God and can be used for missions, can used for kingdom, can be used for the gospel. What's your purpose to have a good education? Is it because you want to learn how to do something so you can feel, fulfill God's mission with it? Or is it so that you can acquire a skill so you can get a jo- good job and you can get financial security? What's your purpose for looking, or for, for, looking for a spouse if you're single, right? What is that? Is it because you want to serve that person beyond yourself and together fulfill God's mission on this earth? Or do you want your, uh, your spouse to serve your need and desire for significance? See how it switches. Understand that idols have absolutely no power over you. There's no power in the Old Testament statutes uh, statues. There's no power, power in modern idols. OK So I'm actually going to start to close. By now going to the passage. You guys, so I'm, I'm saying that so that you don't think, oh, he's just getting started. Okay? <laughs> Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. In verse 1, it says this And God spoke all these words, saying, And in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Hey, cool question. Pop quiz for you. I just read the first uh, commandments of of the 10. What's commandment number one? You shall have no other gods before me. What's commandment number two? Okay. What does commandment number two mean? Does it mean that we're not supposed to have pictures of Jesus on the wall? Does it mean that we're not supposed to make any image of God? Yes. But let's take a look at that passage, okay? You shall not make, if it was just of God or Jesus or any form of the Trinity, right? You shall not, verse 4 says, You're not, sh- you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Why would God be jealous of the statue that's made of him? You can see maybe, but if they were still worshiping him... See, brothers and sisters, the point that I'm making is this. Well, would it surprise you that most traditions, most religions actually took commandment one and commandment two, and there were actually one commandment? Up to the Reformation. It was only at the Reformation that they got split into number one and number two. Because if you look at number two, it's really a continuation of number one. You shouldn't have any other gods before me. And like, you're not gonna make any idols of me or anybody else. Okay? Now, I'm not here to argue that it's separate, I can see how, or not separate, that they're one. They can be two, and I see that, okay? I don't have an opinion on that. Like, I can take them as two. All you just want to do is follow what it says, right? But if you look at verse two, what it's really emphasizing is not just having any other god, but it's saying, hey, I think it's talking about what we call syncretism. Syncretism. Syncretism is when you combine religions together. Like, when you sync to the cloud, you kind of sync things together, or you sync computers. It was saying all the religions were, that was a thing that they did back then, is they They sync religions together. What God is saying, he's like, look, don't sink me. Don't bring me down to all these other gods and to the other religions. You let me be me. I'm Yahweh. And if all idolatry is really an idolatry of the self, then what he's saying is, like, stop playing God. Stop playing God in your lives and let me be God. And in this way, I think this is exactly the vehicle in which idolatry has come into the church. And this is going to be the hard thing to swallow. How do we bring idols in the church? You're looking at them, you're looking at us. When we walk around like our own gods, we come in and we set up idols in the house of the Lord. Voltaire says this, right? He was very critical of the church. He's an old French philosopher. He says, if God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. If God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. And I think, as I close here again, We have brought idolatry in the church in two ways. And I want to leave you with this. First, practically. And second, theologically. Okay? Practically speaking, when you walk into church, what are you thinking about what you want in a church? My wife and I recently, uh, last year, we, we decided to, we felt the call to leave um, our church and start seeking a new church. And I realized every single Sunday, man, I was so dis- discontented. Because when you shop for a church, that's <laughs> right. And we had committed ourselves to like saying, we're going to kind of look around. And they're like, oh, the pastor's not like this, or the worship band is not like this, or they weren't warm enough at the door, or I didn't feel welcomed. Or I mean, or just it, the church building looked funny. Okay? When you walk into this church, and I think this is really important as we start thinking about where Trinity Church is going to go. Okay? Are you thinking about church in terms of your preferences? Or are you thinking about church in terms of what a biblical church is and what God will want? And that's the challenge I have for you this morning. As you look for your next pastor, what are you gonna be looking for? Is he funny? Can he preach? Is he gonna care for me? Is he gonna care for my needs? Is he gonna to listen to what I have to say about the band? Is he gonna care about what I have to say about like the sound? Or about the lights or how we should do worship ministry? Is he gonna care about what my preferences are? Because if he isn't, I'm not voting yes. Right. Second, I think idolatry has come in theologically. Okay? And I think the hardest part for me when I think about idolatry of the Old Testament is like if you've been if you're a mature Christian, if you've been walking for a while, some of the things Some of those attractions might not be big to you, but I think the biggest one is the whole uh, quid pro quo one, the reciprocal. I call this the if-then mentality. If I do this, then God will love me. And we've become really good at doing that list of things that we can do that we think are, are biblical and good. If I'm just a little bit more humble, if I serve just a little bit more, if I smile just a little bit more, I'm going to be loved by God a little bit more. We've been, it's the if-then mentality. We've been so trained and accustomed to be so meticulous about, uh, about, about like, if, if I study hard, I'll go to a good school. If I go to a good school, I'll get a good job. If I get a good job, I'll get a lot of money. If I get a lot of money, I can have financial security. If I have financial security, I can raise a family in a home. If I can have, raise a family in a nice home, guess what? They can study hard. And then they can get into a good school. And then they can make a lot of money. And then they can provide financial security. It's a total if-then mentality. But friends, the gospel is not if-then. The gospel is since then. Since Jesus has died on the cross. Since God has saved us. Because he's the one that's at the center of our lives. Now I can do all these things. I can work hard for him. I can serve the church for him. I can do all these things for him. It's the, on the outside, it looks all the way the same, okay? But the real question really is, are you thinking of it in the if-then mentality? I'm doing this so I can get? Or are you doing it with the mentality of, I'm doing this because you know what? I don't have to do anything anymore. And I'm so grateful in my life that now I get to worship God. Amen? So we're going to take just a minute or two of prayer here. And I'd love to take this time to just bow our heads and um, really start praying for the future of this church. We've got to start praying now, right? Who's God has already prepared the pastor that's going to come. Amen? It's actually more about us recognizing who that pastor is and being able to say, hey, this is God's will. So let's bow our heads. Would you take a moment now and say, hey, what are the idols in my life? What do they show you about your heart and where you need healing and restoration? Have you been working to earn your salvation with God? I feel like every day I need to relearn relearn how to receive God's grace. And would you receive it this morning that no matter what you've done, where you've been, and with what heart? God loves you and he forgives you. He loves you and he forgives you and he welcomes you here with open arms. Where's your heart for Trinity Church? What's your true desire for this place? For your next pastor? I'm just going to ask that you Lift that up to the Lord and say, Lord, will you control the desires of my heart and lead them to you? Allow me to submit them to you. Let them be ordered under your plan for Trinity. Lord, your will be done and not mine. Lift up these prayers to you, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness, God. And we submit our wills to you. We submit the plan to you, to the search committee, our budget. All these things, Lord, we submit them into your hand. And we ask that you would do with them as you will. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray.